This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase. You're listening to the Fantrax Radio Network. Fantasy Sports lives here. Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Presented by the Fantrax Podcast Network. It is I, Pat Donovan, returning this week from a one-week hiatus. And I am joined tonight by fart noise-making Nick Ligatino. Oh boy, I have no beer tonight. How am I going to get through this podcast? <laughs> Huge mistake. Huge this mistake. whole show was a huge mistake. And joining us, as always, Joe Saunders. I do it uh, dry most weeks, so Nick, you can That's join That's what me. she said. Uh, so I'm assuming, Joe, you didn't have your fat tire last week, and that was just a one-week thing? Yeah, yeah, I was a rebel that week. He was Lame. Trying to Lame. All right, let's jump into the news and notes. The big news, of course, Manny Machado traded to the Dodgers. Obviously, Machado is a must-play regardless of where he ended up. What Dodger do you think is most affected as the situation becomes a little more crowded now? Now, obviously, Justin Turner on the DL may alleviate some of that playing time squeeze. Um, And what do you think about the Orioles' return? Giuseppe? Sure, yeah. So I think everyone not named Cody Bellinger is at risk. Jock, Forsyth, Kent, Muncie, Taylor, Turner, Kike, Puig, any one of them could be at risk of losing playing time because they're so all so versatile. Muncie could play multiple positions. Freaking Taylor could play multiple positions. Even Bellinger could play multiple positions. It, it's just so there's so many so many options that I think whoever's cold is at risk. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's a team that already kind of um, shuffles players in and out of the lineup because they're so deep and they have so much versatility. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you mentioned Chris Taylor, but he's also at risk. For, all right. I mean, they're all at risk for losing some, but I don't think anyone loses drastic time because of it. I think they just shuffle guys around. You may lose some at bats here and there, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference for anyone in particular. Is there one player you guys are concerned about more than the others? Probably Kike, if I had to guess. Yeah, Kike is probably the odd man out. Yeah, agreed. I'm also a little bit concerned about Kemp as the season wears along. Um, Now, I know that Puig was mentioned as possibly going to the Orioles to offset um, some money in a potential Zach Britton deal. Britain was dealt to the Yankees, which we'll talk about momentarily. Um, but if it stays as constructed, I know Kemp has been amazing, but um, there's a lot in his profile that says he's going to regress. Um, not to a ridiculous extent, but enough that he could experience a prolonged cold streak. And I, I just worry that with the little defensive value that he has, um, that he might be the odd man out. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. But you, I don't think you can panic in this situation either. I don't want to make it 
that, you know, you have to be concerned if you own any of these guys because we've seen it throughout the league. I mean, we came into the year with the Brewers outfield and we were worried and flipping out about how is it going to work itself out. And then Jesus Aguilar started to hit. And then we were worried about, oh, well, how is Aguilar going to fit into this? Um, these situations tend to work themselves out, right, guys? Yeah. Okay. All right, so let's talk about Zach Britton, who was dealt tonight to the New York Yankees. Oh, and you, real quick, we didn't talk, talk about the return for the Oh, year. good good call. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure we're all on board that Diaz looks really sexy. Um, he doesn't have much playing time, but through AA so far, he's been really, really good. He's shown a lot of patience at the plate. He's got some pop. He's got some speed. He's probably the head. He's definitely the headliner in the deal. Um, I was curious to see what you guys thought about Dean Creamer. What do you guys think about him? Yeah, I think he looks intriguing. Um, I'm not fond of pitchers inside Baltimore. Uh, Joe and I, full disclosure, both own Dustin May. And we were dancing when we found out May wasn't going in the deal. Um, but uh, Kramer does look good. I, I, I do find the skills intriguing. I just don't like this. I just don't like the fit. Yeah, the note I have on Diaz, too, is, Nick, you mentioned the speed. Um, I think that speed is going to disappear once he hits the majors, as he's been an awful, awful base runner in the minor leagues. He's actually been caught more than he's he's stolen. So I imagine that a major league team won't let him run as wildly. Yeah, to me, I think Diaz looks kind of Marcel Ozuna-esque. Um, and that comes with both the good Marcelo Zuna and the bad Marcelo Zuna. Um, so, I mean, he could be a bat that could hit 285, 30 bombs at the major league level um, and seem like he will steal bases, although he probably won't, or he could be a 20 homer, 260 bat. And, you know, that's less than ideal in this day and age. But so do we like the whole? Oh, I thought they did very well for a rental. And I think the guy, the guy that we didn't mention is, is Bannon. And I think he might be the most interesting guy in the deal. Um, now, I know, Di- I know Diaz is the guy that has the prospect type. Um, Bannon was drafted in the eighth round in 2017, but has done nothing but rake in the minors. Um, thus far this year, he's got 20 homers, a 296 batting average, and a 961 OPS. And he's going to a hitter's park inside of a hitter's division. Um, he's a smaller player, but he's shown the pop thus far. So I don't really see much of a reason to doubt it until, you know, we're, we're proven otherwise. Um, so I think he's kind of sneaky for dynasty league folks. Yeah. Overall, I like the return though, for a rental, like Pat said. Okay. Now let's move it to Zach Britton, who was traded tonight to the Yankees. Uh, the return includes Dylan Tate going the other way among others. The most fantasy relevant here is, thing here is who is going to receive the saves in Baltimore going forward? Who do you guys like? Joe? It's still Brock. Brock and Givens have struggled um, for their own sake this year. But uh, I'd say it's Brock because he's got the experience. Yeah, and, and whichever guy you pick up and hope, hopes get, gets the saves, be prepared to deal with a roller coaster because – that's what happens with this Baltimore closing job. They're going to have really, really bad blow-up nights. And Givens, we all loved, you know, spring training. I, I still like him. He's just been inconsistent. Yeah, um, he's up and walks a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's relievers, though. That's that's what you get. I mean, yeah. year to year, there's a lot of volatility aside from the, you know, truly elite guys. 
So, um, but I think Brock is on the last year of his deal, so he might be dealt too. He, he definitely might be dealt too. Yeah, and the, you know the Baltimore is not going to come by many save opportunities, so I don't know if it's worth having one. You know, going out and spending any fab on these guys, they're going to blow up your ERA and WHIP, and they're not going to get you many saves. Okay, lightning round. Who who are you going after if you need to go after one? I'm. I would bet on Brock. See, I'm going to take Givens because I think Brock is dealt. Yeah, but don't. That's don't, wouldn't you want Brock in the closer role to show that he could close games out and then deal him? Well, there's not much time between now and yeah, the, the deadline is. Yeah, you're right. When is the deadline? A week, week from today. Yeah, like okay. a week. I mean, in theory, he could go through to the non-waiver deadline, and then he would get another month. Which is definitely possible. It's totally possible. But I think I would place my bet with Givens at this point. Okay, Brad Hand and Adam Simber were traded to the Indians from San Diego. In San Diego, I think we found out that Kirby Yates is the next man up as he received the first save opportunity. But Yates himself is a candidate to be traded. Who do you like behind him? And as far as hand goes, do you think he could see saves with the Indians? And what is his outlook for next year? This is going to be an interesting situation in, uh, in Cleveland. I think that they're going to roll with Allen uh, as a closer for the rest of the year. And they're going to use uh, Miller and Ham night to night as their setup guy or seventh inning guy. Miller looked really bad today, as Joe texted <laughs> me before, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I don't think he sees, sees saves right away. They've been locked into Allen for a long time now. And just when, you know, last year and the year before where Cody Allen will go through like these prolonged cold streaks and he's like, all right, it's time for Andrew Miller to take over. It's time. The guy is ridiculous. They still kept him in that setup role. So I think we're going to see Allen with that role. I, th- I think Allen's going to stay the closer for the rest of the season. Neglecting health, there's a 0% chance that hand closes. Allen, no, not Allen, yes, zero. Allen is the guy. We've we talked about this already. I disagree, it's, but it's still Allen. I could see Hand vulturing. You know. Oh yeah, two, like three Allen's saves. Like, yeah, if Allen's used like three games in a row. Or yeah, something. or if I mean, even if even if Hand got in theory the next save up, I would still think they would try to go back to Allen. Um, but. You know, as far as next year goes, I believe Allen's a free agent. Miller's a free agent. Hand appears to be set up to be the guy from a dynasty perspective. Um, and and I would just note, I mean, I don't think that I would be quick to cut Brad Hand in most formats. Oh, definitely not. He's an outstanding setup guy. He's an outstanding ratios guy. Um, and he's a guy that has a history of going multiple innings. So it's not a new role for him. So I think that if the Brad Hand owner has cut bait, um, you know, you have the potential where he could sneak some saves. But, I mean, even just for the ratios, he's worthwhile. I didn't realize that they're both free agents next year. That bullpen is going to be in trouble. Well, they got two guys. I mean, Simber's no joke. That's either. true. That's true. Um, you know, he, he's a, he's a, a submarining right, righty who's done very, very well this year. And, you know, I mean, bullpens, this is, this was my point when we talked about Gibbons. it's year to year to year as to who is effective, except for the truly elite guys, guys rise, they fall, they move from a starter to a relief role and they certainly blow up guy immediately comes to mind in Cleveland, Danny, Danny Salazar, like he, like he should be a reliever. 
because yeah. he can't stay healthy as a starter. And he was fantastic out of the pen last year. Yeah. Joe, you said that you said the Indians pen is going to be a record next year. Yeah, Simber, I mean, it's, Simber's it's a free agent at the end of the season. No, oh, because he's he's like really good. Like when they got yeah, him the deal, I was Simber like, is good. like when I saw Hand, like when Hand was dealt, and they like, oh, and send him around. Like I've been kind of watching him, and this guy is filthy. That was actually a, a very good deal. I thought. I think oh, that he definitely. is good, but I think you know he's so far up the Indians' list of prospects because they're system is so bad that they were able to shop a guy that's probably not in the top of a lot of prospect lists as far as te- individual teams go. Um, but they, yeah, they were able to get a great return on a guy. So, well, he is value is all tied to being behind the plate. I mean, if he's not behind the plate, unless he takes some sort of major step forward in terms of power, he's, his bat is going to have a hard time playing at another spot where he can actually play. I mean, he he's like a mid to high teens power guy that'll hit like 280. That's okay, but it's not an ideal profile for a corner or a corner outfield spot. It's not Brad Hand and, and Simber good, you know? No, this is obviously a bet on the Padres part that they can yeah. turn Mejia into a viable catcher, which the Indians – didn't have a lot of faith in for whatever reason. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, obviously if he does turn into a viable catcher, then it's a home run for, for San Diego, I think, because they churn out relievers like nobody. So yeah. wait, was, was Yates named the closer already? Yates has gotten a save already. All right. Yeah. But he, I believe is also towards the end of his deal. I don't know if he's a free agent or not, um, but the speculation has been that he could also be dealt. Did we talk about who's after Yates? We have no, not done that yet, but that is part of the. Okay. Outline. Yeah, it's, it's Stammen for me. Um, yeah, Stammen's been awesome. Yeah. And Strom. They, 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 their pen has been good as a whole in general, let's say the Padres. Yeah, that was my point. I mean, they churn out relievers like nothing. Yeah, um, yeah I think Stammen's the next guy up, but I'm going to talk about Strom a little bit later tonight, and I think he's a guy to keep an eye on if you're specking in deep leagues. Mm-hmm. A little preview for you. Ooh, a little foreshadowing. I'm interested. <laughs> All right. Uh, the other news, Wilson Ramos hit the DL with a hamstring injury. Given his history of injuries, um, what do you make of the, of his second half potential? Being that he's been really good this year and is one of few productive catchers and is also a trade candidate. Um, <clears throat> well, Listen, hamstring injuries aren't the worst. I mean, they kind of does suck for a catcher, but I think eventually when he does make his way back, he'll be fine. Um, the last couple of seasons, he's been same old Ramos, you know, injury prone in and out of the lineup. But he's already played 80 games this year, and when he comes back, he'll be fine. He'll, he'll hit for average, and he'll get you some pop. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. In Roto, you already made out like a bandit on value. Yeah, I'm a little bit more concerned. I mean, this is a guy that, like I said, has had a pretty extensive injury history, and he's also kind of got that Yasmani Grandal syndrome where he's great, he's great, he's great, he gets hurt, and then just is never the same in that given season. Um, So, I mean, I might consider shopping him. I have no doubt that if he does get traded, he's going to get traded to – what is likely to be an improved situation. 
And he will be the starting catcher because he is a very good catcher. Yeah, but if you're shopping him, you're you're shopping you're, you're shopping him for a catcher. No, I mean, who what who, really? What kind of value can he get for an injured Ramos at this point? Well, I, I, I that was what I was about to say was that I would wait for him to come back. Okay, and then look to shop him because I think that that's how you get the value. Um, my concern is is that not that he's hurt right now. My concern is. I don't think he'll be as productive when he gets back because I think his history has borne that out where he's gotten hurt and then just not been the same player post-injury. Okay. Okay. DJ LeMay, you hit the DL with an oblique injury. Colorado has called up prospect Garrett Hampson. What are your thoughts on Hampson? Is he worth the ad or are you waiting on another prospect call up? Nah, you're a son of a bitch, Bet. I had a claim in for him. I had no fab money. I spent it all, traded it all. Well, I traded it all. Um, but, yeah, I like him a lot. Um, the kid's got good patience. He's got speed. He's got pop. He's in Colorado. I mean, if, the, if he starts stealing bases, the pop will just come. So I definitely like him. So far in AAA this year, he's got a 371 OBP, um, and he's not striking out. So I mean, so far in the, in the majors, he's been striking out like a bandit, but that'll come down and – I like yeah, him a lot. I mean, that's over like six at-bats. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying. I, I like him a lot. He should be owned right now. Yeah, Pat, you want to take this one since we own him? Yeah, he's a guy that I've been on for quite a while. He's got good command of the strike zone, ample speed, and enough power to play. The power, I think, could tick up from like an 8 to 10 full season level to 15, given the confines and the current homer environment. On fan tracks, he's second base only. But other formats I've seen, he's also got shortstop. Uh, I think LeBayu is probably going to miss about a month with an oblique with the oblique injury. Um, that gives Hampson a chance to get a prolonged look. And if the Rockies like what they see, I think they'll find a spot for him to play. Um, this could also be a prelude to a trade. Uh, you don't need to look to see that Colorado's middle infield logjam is envious. They've got Story, they've got LeMayu, they've got Hampson, and they've got Rogers in house. Uh, you know, I've speculated with you guys that. Colorado has the exact type of system that would suit a trade for one of the Mets aces. Um, so maybe that's their thought process here is bring him up, give him a quick look, especially when they're at home and try to flip him for something else. Um, but yeah, I think that Hampson is a good bet. I don't know that we're going to see another prospect come up um, for a substantial amount of playing time up until September. That's of his sort of ilk. And he's a highly specialized prospect. I mean, he's a 30-plus steel guy that hits for a high average. So you either need the speed or you don't. So if you need it, I think that this is a good chance to get it. Yeah, we need, we need, to, we need to somehow contact the Rockies and the Mets and be like, hey, guys, you need to talk. We have the perfect <laughs> We deal. have the yeah. package. It's, it's, <laughs> this is too good. Imagine seeing DeGrom in a – No, in no. A, in a Colorado Rockies no, jersey, though. It's all about seeing gray in a Mets uniform. <laughs> I could totally see that. Oh, it's- dude, he'd, he's, he'd be so good. And and Mets fans would have, like, the prospect hitter they've always dreamed of in Rodgers. Like, it would just be sal- salivating until the moment he comes up. Because he's the best. Yeah, and then he'll just die. Nah, 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 nah. He's not Brandon <laughs> Rodgers. Yeah, he'll have to have heel surgery on both his heels. No, he'll have he'll to end up with mouth. He'll end up with cocksacky <laughs> virus and valley fever. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, Valley Fever. I forgot about that. Yeah, how do we? Are we not mentioning Syndergaard in the notes? We have to. Oh, uh, we'll mention it now. Syndergaard came down with a hand, foot, mouth, elbow, knee, ear disease, uh, a.k.a. Coxsackie virus, a.k.a. Valley Fever. He's only expected to miss 10 days, but, you know, it's the Mets. He's probably going to miss... Ten years. Valley fever. Guys, if you, I forgot if you about wanna, that. If you want to have a laugh, go to Twitter and just type in Noah Syndergaard and just read what people are writing because it is really funny. There's Wait, did funny. you see his tweet though? Yeah, his it was pretty great. funny. He's funny. He's he's a good Twitter he's a, follow. Yeah, he's a good follow. All right, let's let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> so Sean Doolittle hit the DL as well with the stress reaction in his foot. Uh, Doolittle claims it's going to be weeks, not months. Uh, but this is always the concern with Doolittle. As, as the Doolittle owner, are you panicked? And Herrera seems to be the next guy up, right? Joe, why don't you take this one? Yeah, so if I personally owned Doolittle, I wouldn't be panicked only because I had this built in coming into the season. Um, I was the, the low man on Doolittle for sure. Um, and it was for this sort of reason exactly. Um, Herrera is definitely the guy. And a stress reaction in his foot is a lot more concerning than an unnamed foot injury. So uh, I'm definitely worried going forward. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't like two weeks ago, but now I am. Yeah, I it's, 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 it's definitely, it's definitely Herrera. Madsen is wildly inconsistent, although he's been good at times this year and stretches. Um, Herrera is definitely the guy to, guy to own. Herrera is stunk too, though. Yes, since, since the trade, yeah, he yeah. has not been as good. But he's got the much, much, much longer yeah, track. Yeah, he's definitely better than that, in just in general. Yeah. Um, but uh, with with Doolittle, um, this is uh, listen. Stress fracture in the foot is not a good thing. Um, do you know if it was a break or if it's just badly bruised? The the quote is stress reaction. That's usually like. A hairline fracture or something like that, I think. But with, yeah, I think so. I, I I think it's to the point where they can't tell whether it's a bruise or a hairline fracture. Well, all right. So we all think Carrera is the guy, but so we're not panicked though on Doolittle because I am a little panicked. No, no, no. We just said what well, that was. I was panicked I'm ju- when I'm you went on, on the DL now. in the first place. Yeah, okay. I'm on board because now. You're on board. This is a guy that, much like I just said about Ramos, it's it's always not serious and then it's serious. Yeah. So this is the serious part, and I have no confidence that Doolittle is going to come back and be healthy. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're the Doolittle owner, I think you've got to make contingency plans. Herrera's probably gone if you didn't get him already. You look at Yates. You look at Gesellman in in New York because Familia's been traded. Um, Maybe you spec that Hildenberger in Minnesota is going to get the job once Rodney gets traded. That's a good one. Maybe you grab Stammen, who we talked about, and hope that Yates is gone. Maybe you grab Givens. Um, you know, there are there are closers to be had, but I think you've got to make some contingency contingency plans. Now, I'm not dropping Doolittle. I mean, I'll hold him on my DL. I'll hope he comes back. But if he is an important part of my save situation, I'm putting out feelers to try and get somebody so that way. I'm not stuck if this turns into a larger issue like it already has. Yeah, like go out and here's a good a good deal right now. If you have Doolittle, who is the somewhat elite closer, 
not in the top five, but he's up there. Um, I would maybe throw out a feeler for Soria, who's been absolutely money this year and has made some changes. He's not going to get you as many saves. Yeah, but Soria's going to get dealt. Well, not 100%. I think he's on a one-year deal, so I'm pretty sure he's going to get dealt. Well, the White Sox are weird. Uh, like, there's been, no, <laughs> there's been no talks about Jose Abreu. They're so damn wily. Like, why Why is Jose Abreu not being talked about at all? Well, because he's under contract forever, and they've got a whole bunch of Hispanic oh, youngsters, and whatever. Abreu comes to work every Nick, day. Nick, let me like, ask you a question. Nick, let me ask you a question. If Would you rather have Sean Doolittle or Rich Hill rest of the season? R- right now, Rich Hill. Okay. What if Rich Hill goes in the DL? What did you say? What if Rich Hill goes in the DL and you only have one spot? I know, and you only have one spot. Who are you holding on to? I'm I'm taking Rich Hill because I don't like a stress fracture in the foot. And I I do little if he if he re-injures it. Right now the Nats are terrible and they need wins. So if they rush him back at all and he comes back and he's not ready, he's going right back on the DL. Okay. The reason I ask is because I know someone listening out there has this dilemma. They have Rich Hill and Sean Doolittle. And I agree with you. I'd rather have Rich Hill. Yes. Agreed. Um, okay. And we should also bring up, I mean, we, we mentioned Familia. It looks like Aselman is there. Brendan Morrow is not on our outline. He also hit the DL. Um, do you have any thoughts in Chicago as to who – is your favorite there to pick up the slack while Morrow's out. And Morrow's got a, a biceps injury. So yeah, much nice. like Doolittle, we're looking at a few weeks at least. Yeah, it's going to probably be Pedro Strop. Strop um, right. But you got to be careful with him too because he's he'll go out and look money, money, money one night. And like, oh, this guy is good. And then just go out and walk the world and just be all over the place, miss the plate. Yeah, I, I think that – I think Strop is the guy as well. But I wouldn't be shocked if they make a trade and bring somebody in to fill yeah, the role they need temporarily. It. Yeah, you know, I know um, it, it would be tempting to pick up Carl Edwards, but he's had so many opportunities to take that job. And he's just – and Madden's just never pushed him into the role. So he's another one of those guys that I think would probably be okay as a closer, but just isn't going to get the shot. Yeah, I think that this is a good spot for – um, Yates potentially, yeah. Yates, Bear Claw, Bear Claw yeah, might man. be a little expensive for them. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, Bud Norris, I think, is a possibility here. Blake Parker, I think, is a possibility here. Um, I, I think though that class of guys, like a guy that could very easily go into the setup role once Morrow is back, um, might be a target because they're. Soria is another example. Perfect. Go across town. Um, just a guy that's productive, that's had the role, that's been stable. But Morrow's been so good that like he'll easily overtake them once he gets back. Because Chicago, the Cubs don't have the prospect depth that they used to have. Like their guys are all in the majors. Yep. So and, and and a lot of them are not panning out. They can't go get you know, a multi-year guy like Bearclaw, I think, unless the Marlins price is very, very low. Call the Padres. They're waiting. (laughs) All right. Blake Snell added to the DL with left shoulder fatigue. It is his throwing shoulder and Tampa while competitive is probably not going to remain in the race. What is the outlook for Snell for the rest of the year? And who are some potential replacements? Yeah. Not good for Snell. 
<clears throat> a guy that we've spoken about a thousand times until my face turns will go out and buy John Gray now. He's only 55% owned and he's going to be money. We all agree that there is definitely, he's definitely going to progress as the season goes on. It's been a lot of bad luck with him. Um, as, and uh, uh, what do you think, Joe? Who's, who do you like out there on the waiver wires right now? Uh, Low percentage. I don't know. I haven't really looked. But I've, I've, got, as, uh, a, I've got a big list of yeah, guys if you want me to throw them out there. List. Yeah. Okay, so in 12-team leagues, Junior Guerra, 43%. Kyle Gibson, 42%. Uh, Nick Pavetta, 40%. Yeah. Nate Eovaldi, 36%. Very interested. Jeremy Hellickson, 34%. <laughs> Jordan Zimmerman, 30%. Yes. Yeah. Deeper, we're looking at Derek Rodriguez at 27%. Mm. Carlos Rodon at 26%. A bit. Joey Lucchese at 20%. Definitely <clears throat> interested. Trevor Cahill, 19%. Of course. And yeah. Nick Kingham at 18%. Oh, my wow. God. Nick Kingham, what? man. What is going on? Hey. People, people are getting... People are getting lazy. That's what's happening. Man, when you when you put a four at the top of the ERA, though, that's what scares people off. Man, it's it, it sounds it, it's it sounds really simple, almost too simple to be true, but it really is. Yeah, y'all bugging. Uh, but you know, I think you do have to be concerned about Snell at this point because you're looking at like a ten to fourteen day shutdown, plus you know ten to fourteen days to get ramped back up again. You're already mid to end of August at that point. You know, you can't drop him. He's been too productive, but it's a, it's a tough injury right now. All these injuries are tough at this point because there's just not a lot of time left. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of pitchers, the fantasy world was a buzz about Daniel Ponce de Leon's near no hitter last night. What do you make of Ponce de Leon and, Austin Gomber also had a good start tonight. Who do you prefer? Uh, I prefer Gomber over Ponce de Leon. Um, de Leon has some control issues that um, I am a bit worried about. Um, as far as Gomber goes, uh, he has much better control, and he's been pretty consistent throughout AA and AAA with the Cardinals, and the Cardinals have been really good at bringing up um, uh, at pitchers, so I'm, I'm all about, the, about Gomber, even though – same team, whatever, but Gomber. <laughs> yeah, Ponce de Leon has the three pitches, but none of them particularly outstanding. And Nick, like you alluded to, um, even in that start yesterday, he missed up in the zone a lot, especially with the changeup. Gomber, um, he's he's got a fairly hittable fastball, but he's got the best pitch of the two of them in the curve. It's a real weapon. Um, he doesn't have much of a third pitch, so he's probably going to be suited towards the pen, but um, out of the two, I like Gomber better. Yeah, I'll, I'll make it a clean, a clean sweep. I like Gomber better. Um, I, I think that that hammer is a uh, is a very useful pitch. Um, you know, I heard the comp that um, was thrown on the sleeper in the bus the other day by Paul Swore and Nick Pollock that Gomber reminded them of Jordan Montgomery and. After taking a look, yeah, I can totally see it. And if you put Jordan Montgomery in an NL park, um, especially in St. Louis, that's something I'm very interested in. I'm not positive that either of these two guys are going to get a prolonged opportunity. Yeah. For up to me, it would be Gomber. Um, as Nick mentioned, Ponce de Leon's got those 
control issues. Um, he's also got a severe pro, uh, fly ball profile, which might help offset some of those walks, but at the same time might leave him prone to homers. Um, although he has given up homers in the minors. Um, but at this level, you know, the homers come at higher rates than they do in the minors. So I think that's a concern. Um, okay, a couple of other notes quickly. Gary Sanchez back to the DL with the re-aggravation of his groin injury. It's becoming a lost season for Sanchez. <laughs> James Paxton was scratched tonight. He's going to uh, take another five or six days, another turn through the rotation before he comes back. And Bryce Harper was scratched, but it was a stomach illness. Um, you know, so he's day-to-day, should be back soon. Okay, that wraps it up for the news and notes for us. Let's move it to second half bold predictions. And I'm going to kick it off tonight. Oh, Following up my buy low endorsement and side bet with Nick, who has Luke Weaver, <laughs> loser. <laughs> Rich Hill is the most valuable Dodger starting pitcher from today forward. Yeah, it's not that bold. Not that bold. Okay. This one is all about health, in my opinion. Since coming off the DL, Hill has arguably been the Dodgers' second-best starting pitcher. From June 19th to today, 10.8K per nine, 2.95 ERA, 36 and two-thirds innings pitched. Hill figured something out mechanically when he was rehabbing. Um, He repositioned himself on the mound and has been lights out since then. The full-season line does not reflect that. In recent starts, Hill has thrown his curveball at an even higher clip. That's a great sign considering how effective the pitch has been for him. For those wondering, Kershaw, since returning from the DL, 32 and two-thirds, 8.27 K per nine, 248 ERA. Stripling, since June 19th, 33 innings, 3.74 ERA, 9.62 K per nine. Meta, probably the best in this stretch, 29 innings, 11.97 K per nine, 2.15 ERA. So the primary reason why I wanted to highlight this was just to show again, I think that Hill has the potential to produce like an elite pitcher and the market is not valuing that upside. Um, Some names I'd rather have Hill over Lester, Bueller, Wood, Pivetta, Bieber, Kingham, Arietta, Manaya, Newcomb, Eflin, Cueto, and Hap. So, out of that list you just said, I would say 80%. I'd rather have 80% of those pitchers over Hill. Um, okay, so wait. Let me, let me, just, let me just rebut yeah, you a little bit. I don't understand. So my prediction's not bold, but you would rather have 80% of those pitchers <laughs> over Hill. And you'd rather have Luke Weaver as of 10 days ago? Well, because you mentioned Newcomb, and I probably would take – I would definitely take Hill over Newcomb because Newcomb's been absolutely horrible lately. Um, and there was probably maybe one or two other guys on there that I was like, eh, I, I agree. But as far as I know, you mentioned the wood and you mentioned Maida and you mentioned Manaya and you mentioned, I didn't mention Maida. Wait, can we play the, can we play the game? Sure. Okay. I will give you the picture. All right. John Lester. I'd rather have Hill. Obviously. I'd rather have Hill too. Yeah. I'd rather have Hill. Yeah. Sweet. Walker Bueller. 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 You guys are confident that he's going to throw enough innings? Yeah. More than Rich Hill. 
Alex Wood. Wood, not close. Hill, yeah, not close, obviously. Yeah, it's Wood. Okay. Pavetta. Pavetta. Bieber. Hill. Hill. Kingham. Kingham. Hill. Wow, really? Yeah. Arietta. Hill. Um, I have no faith in Arietta. I don't like Arietta, but it depends on league format. I'll, I'll go with Hill if they're going basic. Manaya. I'm not a Manaya guy either. Yeah, I'm not a Manaya guy either. Those are the guys that I'm probably going with Hill. Okay, so so I think we've established that 80% was probably the wrong number, Nick. 65. All right. Listen, you, but you did pick a lot of guys that I just have it in for that I just really don't like. Okay, well, we can keep going. Eflin. No, 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 Eflin. I, I'm with you on, on Hill. I, I'm, I'm with you on the fact that when he plays, he's great. I'm just – this is all because of injury – and that's I don't what Pat said, though, to be fair. Yeah, and I don't want to deal with the headache. I'd, I'd rather just have guys that I know are going to get any innings. And that's why, Arietta, I'm like, it's innings versus risk. Like, I'd rather have, do you want the quality innings or do you want the just under mediocre innings? And it's, it's, it's a toss up. I don't, I don't hate the prediction. I own Rich Hill many years in fantasy. You know this. But I just know he's going to get hurt. And it could come at the end of the year. And then it's a, you're done. It's a lost cause. He's. Oh, you're obsessed, Pat. Well, it's just, again, I, as I said when we talked about this last time, it just, you're acting like there's some major investment. To me, there is no major investment in Rich Hill at this point. Well, for you, there is. If, if someone's offering you a Jake Arrieta and you don't take it, that's a good offer. Like, what else do you I think? I don't think highly of Jake Arrieta. But Neither do I. But what else do you think you could realistically get from? Like, Really? <laughs> Well, that's kind of my point, though, is is that the guys that I laid out, I don't consider elite options. So I'll take my shot on the elite and piece it together if I have to. Okay. All right, Nick, why don't you give us our first, give us, give us your first one since mine wasn't bold enough. Okay. So Ryan Braun, the struggling Ryan Braun, who has been awful this year. Absolutely awful. Uh, awful. Awful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Nick, you're the best. I make up words. <laughs> let me show. I like awful. That's actually pretty good. I'm going to use that as we go along. Um, but yeah, he's just not looked like Braun at all. He will, the rest of the way, the rest of the way, put up top seven first baseman stats. So from now to the end of the year, he'll be a top seven first baseman. If you look at the seven, there's a lot of good guys on that list. But I think Braun turns it in. Uh, looking at what he did so far in the first half, it, it looks ugly, but then you look a little bit deeper at what he's done lately, and it looks pretty good. So on the year, he's at a 5.4-degree launch angle, and when the launch angle goes down, it's either because of age or it's because of injury. But since the All-Star break, which was three days ago or whatever it was, uh, the launch angle has been up. And right before the, uh, the All-Star break, it was up. So um, I think we're going to see – a much improved run. He's still making a lot of hard contact. He's still not striking out a lot. He's not swinging out of the zone. He's not chasing. And the exit velo is still at 92, which is really high. He's generating a lot of back speed still for a, you know, 35 year old dude. So I am investing in Braun now. I'd buy low. The team is great. The county stats are there and he's still stealing bases. So uh, he's going to get you both pop and stolen bases going forward. I like him as a buy low right now. 
I don't remember first base being this bad in a long time. It's not that bad. It's pretty bad. It's I pretty mean, bad. The 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 names that we associate with the position haven't been that good. I mean, if you go to ESPN Player Raider, right? Well, Rizzo's, Rizzo's at nine. Bellinger's at ten. Votto's at fourteen. Abreu's at seventeen. I mean, that's bad. I mean, there have been there have been good standouts, right? Like Muncie at seven. But, E5's holding it down at eight. But listen, we're saying rest of the way. Like you, you still have the, the guys like Freeman, Goldschmidt, um, Rizzo, and uh, well, Rizzo's nine. That's what I said. A carpenter who has first base eligibility. Oh, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. I mean, so, the posi- but so, but overall, the position's yeah. been disappointing. And here's my issue with this bold prediction: I don't know that he has the volume to make it happen. Um, they've got themes, and they've got Aguilar. And for instance, Braun wasn't playing tonight. And if Milwaukee's got, you know, hopes of going into the postseason and they want a healthy Braun to be there, they're going to take advantage of their depth and give him time off. Well, he's, so, got, he's got 267 ABs right now. So he, if he just gets to 500, I mean, last year he went 17, 12. Yeah, but that, that would be him playing pretty much every day for the rest of the way. I mean, there's only, what, 60-some-odd games left? Yeah. So, I mean, you'd be relying on full-time playing time at that point. Well, he's got to be above and beyond when he plays. That's why these predictions are bold. You did pick up Braun. I did, yes, because I think he's useful in a, you know, deep 12-teamer. And I I don't dispute that. I just don't think that – I just don't think he's going to turn in a top-seven first-base – you know, output the rest of the way. Hope he does. <laughs> it's not my team, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Joe, why don't you give us your first one? Sure. So mine is Jesus Aguilar continues a crazy pace. Out homers, both Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Whoa. Not now together. Not combined. Not combined. <laughs> you and, and ends up with 45 home runs. Whoa. So, this is more belief in Aguilar and specifically his power than it is a knock on the Yankees because I, I do think that the odds are stock, stacked against Aguilar. Uh, with that said, his ISO has actually somehow gotten stronger as the season's rolled along. The hard contact still sits at 44.8%. And last year in his 311 plate appearances, it sat at 42 45.2%. So now we have a full season's worth of playing time of ridiculously hard contact. He's putting his fly balls over. Uh, he's hitting his. Fly, he's pulling his fly balls over thirty percent of the time. So there's a good reason to believe the power is just legitimately real. Now the only place I do have a, a knock on Aguilar is the batting average, thirty-six point three percent chase rate, couple, coupled with the very high forty-five point eight percent fly ball rate, screams at bat progression. In the worst way. But I'm not predicting that he hits 280 the rest of the way. I'm just predicting that the power is legit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm totally on board with it. I, I wouldn't I – don't, I don't think he's going to out Homer, uh, Judge, or Stanton because they're just insane as far as the barrels go. But I do like it. We're all on board with him. There was a trade in our league where the question was, oh, is he really for real? That was in our group chat. 
And right away, we're like, yeah, this guy is for real. I mean, there's no reason to doubt his power whatsoever. Um, barrels, uh, the actual swing, watching him, he passes the eye test. He's a big dude. He absolutely crushes the ball. I don't have his average home run distance in front of me, but every home run I watch looks like it's 500 feet. So uh, I'm on board with it. I like him a lot. Yeah, I'm on board with it as well. I don't think there's any reason to really doubt Aguilar, um, you know, going forward. He was interesting before the year began. Uh, It was a matter of playing time and uh, he has only improved upon the skills that he showed in a limited sample last year. And I, I think he's been so good that the playing time is very safe. So I like it. I do expect him to continue to be productive. And, you know, I, I do think that there is a possibility that he comes through on this one. Okay, that'll take it to my second one. Andrew McCutcheon goes lights out in the second half, finishing with 21 homers and 18 steals. That would be 12 homers and 10 steals the rest of the way with a 290 batting average, becoming one of the best buy lows in fantasy and putting together a top 20 outfielder finish. McCutcheon's been pretty solid all year. Trademark plate discipline has been there. Uh, he's 10 homers, nine steals currently. Um, he had hit one since I wrote, uh, one homer since I, I wrote this. Um Probably deserves a little bit better than a 260 batting average, um, given his lofty line drive rate and hard contact profile. He's hitting his fly balls hard. X stats say he's underperformed his expected power output by almost two homers. Pittsburgh and San Francisco are comparable ballparks for right-handed power. And San Francisco hasn't been the issue. He's got more homers at home than he does on the road. I think McCutcheon gets white hot in the second half, as we've seen before and carries teams down the stretch. Uh, Joe, you want to go first? Yeah, I can actually buy into this one. Um, as, as, far as, I, as far as I know, the barrels are, were pretty darn healthy for a, a large portion of the year. Um, and, Pat, I know we had discussed – I'm not sure if we discussed on the pod, but I know we talked about him being a really good buy-low option yeah. earlier in the year. Um, things haven't come to fruition just yet. But um, I think overall he's been pretty unlucky, and I think this is possible. It's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, yeah, we spoke about this. I think it was. I think it was off air. I was on board as well. Um, McCutcheon looks rejuvenated in San Fran. The first half, I think, it was a bit unlucky as far as the homers go, because sometime in like early, I want to no, I want to say like late May, early June. Um, you look at the, the the barrels; they were way up. Launch angle, exit velo. He was absolutely crushing the ball. Hard contact was through the roof. They just weren't going out. And I think that it's going to be very similar to the next guy that I'm going to talk about, Ian Hat. I think the home runs are going to come like crazy uh, for this in the second half for McCutcheon. I'm with you, Pat. I agree. I like him a lot as a pilot. Okay, so why don't you give us your uh, bull prediction on Ian Hat? All right, so this is going to be very bold. You know what I wish? I wish we had that song. Remember that song I made? It's time to get bold. Remember that? 
That was great. I was actually going to bring that up later on and see if you actually remembered the words. I do. Uh, For those of you that are new, uh, Nick had written this bold prediction song and sang it on the podcast. And it was to the the tune of the Golden Girls theme song. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the old pod. I miss the old days. Um, Now we got to be on PC. Anyway, um, so listen, Ian Happ... uh, we were all huge fans of the guy spring training. He came in this year and put up some really wacky stats that'll leave you scratching your head. But my prediction for Hat the rest of the way, second half of the season, Ian Hat will be a top three, three second baseman. That's right, wow. three. Yeah, that's bold. Look at that second base. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys, but he's starting to put it together, guys. Over the last month, 329 average, 982 OPS, three home runs, 19 runs scored, a stolen base. Um, the first half, he was all over the place. He had a 397 Babbitt, a 257 batting average, and a 381 OBP. He struck out 35% of the time and walked 16% of the time. He had 12 home runs and five stolen bases. Um you look at the barrels, they're crazy. The exit velo is way up. The launch angle, way up. He's now moving higher in the lineup. Beginning of the season, remember, there was a time where we were like, he's going to get sent down to the minors. But he figured it out, and now he's starting to, he's starting to play a lot better, especially over the last month and a half, two months of baseball. Um, I'm a big believer in the power and speed from this kid, and the top of this, this lineup could be had. You've got guys like Ben Zobris up there who – is wishy-washy. You've got Jason Hayward, who, who's been playing well, but I think we'll start to fade. And if Hap could move up, you've got a healthy Chris Bryant. You've got a healthy Anthony Rizzo. You've got a lot of counting stats that could be had. I absolutely love him. And I think he's going to be awesome the rest of the way. Go out and buy him. Nick, what's your home run number for Hap? And, and, and home run number. Right now, he's got 12. Yep. I think the rest of the way, he gets right around... 12 to 15 and as and he's not he doesn't have that many at bats left but 12 to 15 and he gets the double digit uh steals as well okay i think that's fair it's just the uh top three is tough because um i don't think i'll have the batting average to to float up to top three but i can i can buy buy 12 to 15 home runs and you know, five to seven or so steals total. Well, if you, if you think the K rate's going to come down, which I think it is. I mean, he's at 36 right now. I think the K rate could come down and he still might not hit high enough. Yeah, but Joe, to to the point about the power, I mean, if he's – if he hits 12 to 15 homers, right, those are fly balls that aren't going for outs. True. And he's already a plus Babip guy. So he, he might have enough at that point um, to to carry the average at like a two eighty ish level, and if he's got that with those kind of yeah, you know juice, he he's almost got it. I think, um, yeah. and yeah, he does. He does have that kind of explosive potential to to do that. I mean, we this was a guy we were all pretty high on coming into the year, um, and he got off to that terrible start, and he was able to float because of his Babbitt skills and. Slowly but surely, he's kind of, you know, ticked away at the K problems and ticked away at the K problems and shown better discipline and, and shown better patience. And, you know, he's 
he's a guy that, yeah, I could absolutely see getting hot in the last two months of the season, especially, you know, as rosters expand and they, they get further, you know, the, the, the pitching, the pitching gets worse. He could take advantage of that. So I, I think that there is a possibility that, you know, Hap does put up a huge second half. I could totally see it. All right, Joe, who you got? Sure. Uh, just real quick, um, Brock did get the save tonight. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, next up, I've got Marcus Simeon. Oh, I'll- God. Here we go. Listen, listen. It's actually – it's tame. He outranks Carlos Correa from now until the rest of the season, but they both still end up outside the top 12. So – the point here is this is a little bit of cheating going on because Correa is currently on the shelf with a back injury, and it's been lingering a bit longer than I think anyone ex- expected it to. And that's really the point here, the focus. It's not so much on Simeon, but I imagine Houston's going to take their time with Correa as he's an integral part of this championship run. And on a per-game basis, Correa is still a stud, and he'd be up there with the best of them in the league had he not just missed a month. But again, I think they're going to be extremely careful with Correa. And we, at the end of the season, we're left wondering what if. As far as Simeon goes, over his, uh, at, I, I wrote this on Saturday. So the 12 games before Saturday, um, Simeon had started to turn things around at the plate. The power hasn't developed just yet, but he was hitting 277, three stolen bases, an 11.1% walk rate, and a 16.7% strikeout rate. Um, he decreased his chase rate, and he's got his zone contact percentage above 90%, which is very good. Rolling into the all-star break, Simeon was really starting to hit the stri- his stride. The bad is that it just doesn't look like any, so- any sort of power is going to develop from his bat anytime soon. He's hit very few barrels at 4.4%. The exit velo is down to 859 which Nick would call... Awful territory, I think. <laughs> I wanted to originally be really bold and say Simeon gets inside the top 12, but I just couldn't, I couldn't get myself to do it with the, the power numbers that bad. Um, the improved contact profile is good, and I think that coupled with the playing time will get him past Correa uh, because Correa is going to be on the, sh- the shelf a lot longer than we thought. Yeah, I mean, I've been a Simeon fan for a long time. It hasn't been um, the year that we thought it was going to be. But he still shows very strong plate discipline skills. Um, I still have hope that he's going to have a big offensive season in the future. Um, I could certainly see him pick it up in the second half. And I've been on record many times that that A's lineup is very good. And regardless of where he hits, he should be able to get some decent run production given what's surrounding him. Um, And yeah, I share Joe's concerns for Correa. I'm not sure that he's going to be, um, you know, viable. Um, Well, I shouldn't say viable. I'm I'm not sure that he's going to be, um, you know, returning as quickly as people might might like yeah i mean going so joe you'd rather have um simeon over correa going going forward no this is a bold prediction <laughs> okay all right <laughs> um 
So, so yeah, um, listen, I've been kind of a Marcus Simeon hater, but more because I have to hear about him every single podcast through for all eternity. Um, these guys love that 2016 year where he went 27-10, and we just could ne- we never stopped hearing about it. But uh, listen, I don't mind the guy as long as he stays healthy. Injuries obviously been an issue with him. Um, if he stays healthy, he's a good. He had a good ADP, and he could probably ha- be had on the cheap if you have a hold the position. As far as Correa, um, I like him as a buy low. I would go try and throw out some feelers. I, when he first hit the DL, I was saying go out and try and get him now see what the price is since he hasn't done anything anyway this year. But um, I kind of like him as a buy low, to be honest. Well, he's actually at 12 right now. He's like the 12th ranked shortstop. Still? Yeah. Correa? Yeah. Well, because oh, every, everyone outside the really good guys isn't, aren't really that good. But wasn't Correa struggling to start the year? No, he's, he's, he's like I said, on a per-game basis, he's been okay. 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 All right, that brings it to my third bold prediction. Nate Eovaldi. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Doesn't generate the biggest return at the trade deadline, <laughs> but becomes the most important starting pitcher moved, surging to a ERA around 3.5 with excellent ratios and finishes as a top 35 starting pitcher from today forward. What year is this? <laughs> is Brandon Belt next? Because I'll just go. I'll just sign off now. No, Brandon Belt is not next. No, no Matt so Strom is next. The two huge developments for Nadia Ovaldi is that he's been pitching up in the zone, and he's implemented and increased the usage of a cutter up to twenty eight percent this year, from seven percent last year, and he never threw it before last year. The pitches allowed his fastball and slider to play up. Eovaldi's generating career highs in chase rate and swinging strike percentage. Exiting the AL East or at least moving to Boston or New York will aid Eovaldi greatly in terms of the quality of competition that he has to face. Ideally, Eovaldi lands in the NL, maybe on the Cubs, with a strong defense behind him. But regardless of where he ends up, I think Eovaldi has taken a step forward and the second half will bear out that the results should be much better than his current 4.26 ERA indicates. Um, I have a question. I have a question. Sorry, Nick. Pat, do you know when he made the adjustment to pitch higher up in the zone? Do you know if it was when he first started, which was back in May, the end of May? Yeah, I believe it was a new development because of Tampa. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I asked because, um, you know, his first few starts, he was kind of knocked around a little bit, and then he kind of hit a stride towards the end of June, um, except for that one blow up. But, um, yeah, top 35 is pretty high. There's a path here, though. It's definitely bold. Yeah, it's definitely bold. Uh, but – Listen, if anybody has ever passed the eye test, it's Eovaldi. Uh, the guy throws stinky a hot cheese. A billion miles an hour, yeah. Yeah, he throws stinky hot cheese, and he does it, like, when he's already in, like, for 100 pit. Well, if he ever gets they – don't, they don't let him really pitch because he's going to get hurt. But, yeah, if he stays healthy, uh, I like Eovaldi as well. He'll get you keys. He'll get you the good ratios. I like him as a, 
as a four, maybe five starter on your, on your roster. I like it. Okay, Nick, give us your next one. All right. My next one. Speaking of pitchers, David Price, the rest of the way is a top 20 starting pitcher. No reaction? Crickets? You're buying in after we I'm talked buying. about him last week? I'm buying in. Yeah, I'm buying in. So, all right. Bottom line is this. He is pitching well without the velo. And lately, he's been absolutely money. He is not walking guys at all. First of all, 93-mile-per-hour sinker, he could live with it. It's, it's not 91. It's not 90. He's, and he's been 93 the entire year. He's not losing velo, which was – you know, he had the tingling in his hand earlier in the season. That was a red flag. But so far, he's been healthy since then. Um, the Red Sox have been very, very, very good with their pitches over the last couple of years. See Rick Porcello, see Eduardo Rodriguez. Obviously, we don't have to really even mention Chris Sale. But uh, I think Price is going to be really, really good down the stretch. Um, so far in the season, he's actually not been that bad. Uh, for the, although the 4.17 ERA, like Pat said, you can see that over four ERA and you're like, eh, it scares you away. But he has a 1.22 whip and he's not walking guys at all. Um, over the last month, he's got 27 innings pitched, 32 Ks. The strikeouts are going up, which is a really good sign. And as far as the swinging strike rate, he's still generating a 15 plus percent with the cutter. Um, and I'm sorry with the changeup, and he's also getting a nice uh, 10 plus percent with the cutter as well. So I think the K's are going to stick. And as the year rolls along, I think he'll get even better as he gets more comfortable. The guy hasn't pitched in a while. Remember that. Um, I love him. I'd say go buy him right now. Well, where, where did where, what was the prediction? Top 20? Top 20. 20 stuff. 20 stuff. There's a lot of guys there. 20 stuff. Yeah, it's tough. That's high. Bold. Yeah, it's definitely definitely got some boldness to it. Uh, I don't know that I buy it, though. Uh, I mean, just based upon sheer numbers um, in terms of the quality that's in front of him. uh, You know, now it, it is a small sample, and a lot of weird things can happen in smaller samples, but... Um, I think it's going to be tough for him to reach that kind of um, level given who's in front of him. But I, I also, I also think it's noteworthy, which you guys mentioned. I mean, there has been a decline in skill here. So I, I, I just don't think that he's going to be able to, you know, even if, even if putting aside the other, pitchers that might jump in front of him. I don't know that his results are going to be good enough. Yeah. 20, 20, Steve. I mean, he, he, he's definitely, he's, he was better than I thought when I looked under a microscope last week, but you know, a four, a four, four point one five ERA is just not going to cut it. Yeah, I mean, to be top 20, he's got to get to, like, mid-threes. Did you guys read this report that the Padres are interested yeah, in getting Cinder? Yeah. I just seen what? that. They're interested in, in who? Cinder. Yeah, I, I had heard that kicked around, and they've got the system to do it. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, also, right, it, it's not just the ERA, too, though, right? Like, at 8.97K per nine, 
that's like tough to be top top twenty two. I mean, it's good. Well, I told you, and it's it's gone up a lot as of as of the last month. Yeah. Again, this is this is bold. This is bold. This is yeah. a good bold prediction, though. Yeah, I like it. Okay, Joe, why don't you give us your good bold prediction? All right, I hope this is good. So the pair of Blue Jay outfielders, Grichuk, Randall Grichuk. Oh, and- I've got a Randall Grichuk one too. <laughs> and Teoscar Hernandez. But well, hop on on this one. But and Teoscar Hernandez both gone absolute tears in the second half. And they both eclipsed the 35 home run mark by the end of the season. What was yours? Wait a second. Did you say Grichuk eclipses the 35 home run mark? Yes. Whoa. whoa, whoa. That's like 23 <laughs> homers the rest of the way. Yeah. You're an animal. <laughs> I'm that. sticking to my gun. I, I, well, that that's what, that's what I titled the Randall Grichuk position. Prediction, which was I, I never learned my lesson, part one, wow. which means there's a part two, but I, I merely had Grishuk doubling his home run output so far. <laughs> so you're you're like out there, like I'm Mars. You're fucking, <laughs> you're out there on Uranus. <laughs> and then and then has got to hit like would you say twenty? He's got to hit twenty. Yeah, he's got to hit twenty. 20. Oh my God! This is this is crazy. This, you're a man, man. <laughs> All right, Joe, explain yourself, and then, right. I'll, then I'll give my little bit about Grichuk. Pretty much, the summary is all they have to do is make contact, and no, they'll probably get a lot more than that. But go ahead. Go ahead. All right, so with Hernandez, right? He's got a 34.2 percent chase rate. That's pretty bad. A 16.8 percent whiff rate. That's also pretty bad. Yikes. But when he does put the bat on the ball. Oh, 16.3% barrel rate, 91.9 mile per hour exit velo, a 16.5 degree average launch angle, all amounts to an expected slugging percentage of 576, which is close to his 602 slugging percentage last year in the limited at-bats he had, and he was pacing out for, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but Probably close to 35 home runs. So, all in all, even with someone with some of the plate discipline problems, he's pulled his K percentage to 27%, which still isn't great, but it isn't awful. And he's undershooting both his expected slugging and expected weighted on base averages, right? So, I think Teoscar can go on a four-week tear where he blows the cover off the, off the ball, easily eclipsing 30 and pushing 35. What do you mean easily eclipsing 30? It's 15 more. I know, but that's it's still a lot. But go ahead. Oh, uh, but Ian Happ can do it? Hernandez is a stack has darling, dude. True. He is. True. All right. And then Grichuk. And Grichuk also is a stack has yeah, The profile is oddly similar. 25.3% K rate, which is close to uh, the 27% for Hernandez. And, it, and an improvement. A 35.1% chase rate, just a smidge higher than Hernandez's 34%. A 14.6% whiff rate, a little bit lower than Hernandez's. And a 14.6% barrel rate. So, also with a 91.5 mile per hour exit velo, 60.9 degree average launch angle, right? So, they're almost exactly the same in terms of StatCast data. It's, it's seriously crazy how similar they are. He's in, in, in the last month and a half, too. So last 38 games, he's batted 255 with 10 home runs. As Pat has highlighted in previous podcasts, 
So in 152 plate appearances, he's got 10 home runs. These two are going to kill some fatigued and middling pitchers in the dog days of summer. And I think 35 home runs is the bold prediction. Wow. Yeah, and with Grishuk, you know, since coming off the DL on June 1st, as Joe as, as Joe hinted at, I, it, it's even a little better. It's 161 plate appearances, 11 homers, two steals, 25 runs, 25 RBIs, 255, 311, 550 slash. So for those of you that can't do math, that's approximately a 40 homer, 7 steal, 90 run, 90 RBI pace. 35 is possible. <laughs> the, the strikeout rate in that time is even better than the full season rate. It's at 21%. And the walk rate, while seemingly not impressive, is at 6.5%. But that's good from where Grichuk has been in the past. So he's he's striking out less. He's walking a little bit more. He's swinging at better pitches. And he's missing less. And on top of that, he's his stat cast data is among the leaders in terms of almost every key power metric. So, yeah, I do think that Grichuk is in line for a big second half. And again, as I said with Nick, when he talked about Ian Happ, you have to remember the pitching quality is going to get a lot worse over the next month and a half. Yeah, that's what I said. You gotta remember, this is the time of year when Byron Buxton goes off. So if Byron Buxton can go off, Randall Grichuk can go off. Pat, come on, you're buying in 35. (laughs) Nah, no way, man. I can give you like 15 rest of the way and that's where like I max out. Uh, You guys are going down with that shit. Okay. Um, I like I like it. You're sticking to your guns, both of you. You love the green truck, spring training, and Joey took him in like round one. <laughs> and uh, you're gonna go down with that shit, but that's okay. Listen, uh, green truck. I, I, I think Tioscar has the high, higher higher uh, uh, upside as far as power goes. The rest of the way, uh, as far as green truck goes, yeah, you're, you're definitely both right. The stack cast on both of them is is really really nice, but um, I think it's more like maybe ten and. 15 for I'll give Tiasha 15. I'll give I'll give Grichuk close to 10 turning in eh, kind of season. Whatever. All right, who's your next? Okay, it's mine. Uh okay. Matt Strom becomes mixed league relevant before the year is out. Now with Brad Hand out of town and Kirby Yates possibly the next man to move, the Padres closer role might become open. Strom has functioned primarily as an opener or a multi-inning reliever this year. After a few hiccups to start the year, Strom has been mostly lights out. Since June 1st, he has a 10.14K per nine, a 6.75K to walk, and a sub-2 ERA. And during that time, he's used the starter's arsenal to get the job done. Fastball, slider at 88, curve at 78, and a change at 85. All of those pitches have played average or better. Even if Strom doesn't seize the closer role, they've talked about how they want Strom to become a starting pitcher in San Diego, and I think he could easily find his way into the rotation. You have to remember he was coming off injury last year. This is the way that they've decided to ease him back in. 
but I wouldn't be shocked with the departure of Tyson Ross, or at least the presumed departure of Tyson Ross, that San Diego finds a way to get him into the rotation and Strom is extremely effective from there forward. Um, yeah, we spoke about Strom earlier. I'm definitely a fan of all those guys in that pen. Strom is definitely one of them. The stuff is really, really filthy. As far as eye test goes, I know you mentioned that before on the show, but if you watch the guy, his breaking stuff is ridiculous. Uh, he's absolutely filthy. What was, your, what was your actual prediction, though, on him, Pat? He's mixed league relevant. So uh, can you break that down a little bit? As far okay, as- he's either getting saves in San Diego or he's like a number five starting pitcher. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I'm on, board. I'm on board with it. I'm on board with it. Yeah, I'm on board with the two. I think either via reliever or stretching him out as a starter, I, I could I can get behind this. There's also there's also a possibility that he's nowhere close. <laughs> yeah, there's a real possibility if he continues to just be. Well, I mean, he could be a good ratio guy too, but you know, those are a dime a dozen. We're we're, we're doing pretty well. We're bold. pretty bold, yeah. They're bold. This next one's also going to be very bold. All right, well, you're up. Give it All to right. us. Anthony Rendon will finish the year as a top three third baseman. Top three. That's you're right. Going. You're going high, man. I'm going high. He's going to bump Suarez. He's going to bump. He's I was gonna... about to say, is Suarez the first guy? Yeah, he's going to bump Suarez. Chris Bryant, forget about it. Zero percent chance he bumps Suarez. Suarez is the best. Well, we'll see. Um and we're gonna call we're gonna call Freddie Freeman a first baseman here, and he's gonna enter that Arenado and Jose Ramirez realm of goodness. <clears throat> um, so preseason, Rendon was a guy that I looked at like the night the night before the draft, and I'm like, wow, this guy has all the tools to absolutely go batshit crazy in any given year. He's like a phenomenal hitter. He's got great plate discipline. He's got power. He's got speed. He's on a money lineup. What is going wrong with this guy so far in his career? It's been a, you know, it's been a list of injuries. Um, he did have a good season where he went to 2020 with a good average. I think he did that twice. But right now, this year, he's got a 92-mile-per-hour exit velo, which is something that I didn't know he had inside of him. The last couple of years, he sat around 89, 90. Now he's at 92. He's at an 18.5-degree launch angle as well. And the power has been there. He's got 15 home runs so far on the year. But – he is going to get a lot more. And it's going to come with a really good average, which we all know Rendon hits for good average. He'll continue to do that. And a really good OP, OBP, OPS, all that good stuff. Um, doesn't strike out. He walks a ton. He's been mediocre so far this year, though. He does not have a stolen base yet, which is, you know, you drafted him to, to hopefully get you 20-plus and maybe around 10, 15 uh, stolen bases. So I do think there will be more to come. Um, I would project him around five on the season, but what I'm really encouraged by are the stat cast numbers. I think that the, the home run total could get really close or just over 30. And it's going to come with, like I said, close to a 300 average, really good accounting stats, good OPB, good OPS, all that good stuff. Byron though now, while he's been mediocre and over the last month, last month, he's been, let me pull it up real quick. Um, he's batting 298 with a 949 OPS and seven home runs. So everything is on the up and up. I'm very professional. Your Eugenio Suarez is better. <laughs> the, uh, I actually think 
half is a better shot at cracking. Would you say the top seven? Top three. Top three. Top three. I think half has a has a has a more realistic chance of cracking the top three at second base than Rendon does at third, because I don't think Rendon has the steals in him. Because Eugenio Suarez. I think that foot, that foot injury is still is preventing him from from running. Whether or not it's still bothering him is is one thing. I just I'm not sure if he trusts it. And Nick, what was the did you did you say what his launch angle is right now? Eighteen point five. Okay. See, I I've been a fan of Rendon since he came into the league, and he's always struck me as a player that has a swing that's just more geared towards line drives as opposed to fly balls. And that's not a bad thing because it gives him his batting average, you know, base. I mean, he's a guy that at worst is going to hit like 275. Yeah. But I, I don't know that there's a high variance in the power. Um, I do think that he probably does have a 30 homer season somewhere in there. I just don't know that it's going to come, you know, because he goes on some obscene power stretch um, at the end of this season. Uh, it's certainly bold. It's certainly a bold prediction. And I like it because I do think that Rendon might be undervalued by the market. But um, I think that he's just one of those guys that's not going to go on some obscene power stretch, but rather just hit one or two extra homers over the course of, you know, three or four months, one season, and then get himself to a 30 homer, uh, you know, that's how he'll get to his 30 homer season. Um, but I, I do think that the swing, even though the launch angle is good, is just more geared towards doubles and gap power than it is, um, you know, for any kind of obscene power outbreak. Okay, Joe, do you have another one? Yeah, I do. I have one. Okay. So, Jose Arena manages to piece together a 3.5 ERA the rest of the season. And as a top 50 pitcher the rest Ooh. of the way. Jose Urena? Ooh. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. So, I know top 50 isn't all that bold in and of itself, but right now in standard leagues, he's ranked over 110. So, Urena doesn't possess crazy swing and miss stuff as he's a sinker baller who gets ground balls a little over 50% of the time, 52% to be exact. Irina has done an excellent job of generating more strikeouts this year with a faster changeup, with a lot of backspin, and a harder, less breaking slider. He's got the mold of a classic sinker guy with limited strikeout potential. That's why he's not. That's why this bull prediction is isn't top thirty or something crazy, as he's only got a seven point four three K per nine, but he keeps the ball mostly in the yard with just a twelve and a half percent homer to fly ball rate, and he limits base runners with just a 2.4 walks per nine. So, so far this year, he's been bitten by the Bapit monster with a 304 Bapit after last year posting a 249 Bapit in 169 and two-thirds innings. The team behind him doesn't do many favors, but with such fast and powerful stuff for a sinker baller, there's no reason to think Urena can't manage to piece together a quality Keiko or Stroman-like performance. Um, I could not be any more against this as I... I mean, I, I, I cannot believe you brought this guy up. He is so bad. 
He is so bad. First of all, I'll start with this. Over the last month, he has a 5.79 ERA, a 1.55 whip, and he's walking guys like crazy. So go, let's go to last year where we had a nice full season, 170 innings pitched, right? He had a 249 Babbitt against and a 3.82 ERA. Mm-hmm. He had a 5.20 FIP and a 5.29 XFIP. He struck out 5.99 Per nine. Yeah, the strikeouts are bad. And walk 3.3. Yeah, everything's bad. Everything is bad. Yeah, but I outlined why I think he improved. I, I get why you're saying why he improved, but I'm also outlining, outline, outlining how he's been absolutely crap over the last month. Listen, the, walking- the, the, problem, the problem with him is that when the changeup isn't biting and sinking down, he gets hit hard. Well, the problem with him is also that he doesn't generate any swing and miss, and he walks guys like crazy, which he's been doing lately. Now, the yeah. 2.40 on the year isn't bad, but it's getting a lot worse as the year goes by. Okay. Which, I'm not predicting okay. him to be a top 20 pitcher. That's, that's fine. Listen, you outlined why you think he will be. I'm outlining why I think I won't be. There's no reason to go back and forth. All right. Go ahead, Pat. Putting it aside how good I think he is – I think we also need to keep in mind he pitches for Miami. And I just wonder if, given his limited talent base, that there's enough there for him to overcome what is likely to be a lack of wins. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, and I think the defense behind him hurts, right? I think if he was on a better team, he'd probably be better. That's yeah. why it's this is this is probably the boldest one yet. Yeah, it probably is. Um, but to his credit, you know, he's a guy that has outpitched his peripherals to this point. So there must be something that I shouldn't say there must be something, but there might be something that he's doing that enables him to do so. Okay, that brings me to my last one. I never learned my lesson, 2.0. Matt Olson goes on a power surge that rivals last year, hitting 21 second-half bombs Mm. to get to 40, helping the A's secure a wild-card berth. Wow, that's bold. I I have Matt Olson on my list here, but go ahead. Okay, all right. I'm with you. Olson has taken a lot of positive steps this year, despite somewhat mixed results. The contact percentage is up. The chase rate is down. The swinging strike rate is down. Hard contact percentage is at 51%. Still elite. He's got more line drives. The BABIP should be higher, but this prediction isn't about the BABIP. It's about the pop. On pulled fly balls, Olsen hits them hard 64% of the time. His fly ball to line drive velocity is 97.6%. That's among the major league leaders. He's fourth in 95-mile-per-hour hit percentage, and he's above average on barrels. All the ingredients are there for a major surge. The weather is heating up. I would be buying in a big way if I didn't already own him. And he added two bombs over the weekend, so he's up to 21 now. So he only needs 19 more. And keep in mind, he hit 24 over, what, a 200 at-bat sample last year? Yeah. Um, so I am completely buying in and the more I watch him, the more I am just falling in love with him. 
so as Pat mentioned, the stat cast numbers are ridiculous. He has a 95 exit velo. I, I, I don't have the leaders, the league leaders, as far as that number goes, but I know that's definitely top five. I'll tell you right now. Mm-hmm. I know it is. If it's not top five, it's top 10. Yeah. No, no. It's, I, can, I will guarantee you it's top five because Gallo is 94.8. So this guy's sweet is generating bat speed um, right around Joey Gallo, except he makes a lot more contact and is so much better uh, a skilled hitter as Gallo. Um and just for reference, just let's just comp Olsen to his fellow teammate, Chris Davis. Chris Davis is generating 93.6 exit ELO and a 17.3 launch angle, while Olsen is 94 ELO and 18.4 launch angle. So it's only a matter of time before this guy gets to 40 bombs. And it's, I don't know if it's going to be this year, like Pat said, that's, that's very bold to hit that many more home runs. But this guy is so high on my radar for next year like i am going into the drafts i am not leaving without Alton on my on my team because not only could he hit 40 home runs next year which he will he will get to that number next year he's also going to provide you with like a 260 ish batting average and really good obp because he walks so much so i am all over him i am like in love with this kid okay i i, I have a question right so i know everything sounds really good but there's got to be a reason why the balls haven't left the yard um and i wonder i'm i wonder i'm quickly looking right now right so uh full disclosure we didn't um reveal our bold predictions to one another so we're kind of going off on 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 the fly here so looking at matt olson's launch angle histogram for 2018 a lot of his launch angles are upwards of 40 and 50 and 60 and even 70 degrees. So Pat, I know you've watched a lot of them and I've watched my fair share of Olsen too. And the swing is definitely an uppercut swing. And I wonder if that, that average launch angle at 18 or so degrees is so high because sometimes he hits them sky high and he's not, not, and he's not barreling them. He's just, launching them really high i mean the barrel percentage is 12.1 percent, which don't get me wrong is very very good right but for example teoscar and grichuk were both at 16 percent. so i just wonder if a little bit of this and the reason why the home runs haven't fallen is sometimes he just hits them so high that they don't go out well and my response is i don't know if you could say that the home runs haven't fallen. He's got 21 right now. He does, he does, he does. But I think we'd all expect him to hit even more than that right now. We do, but 21's not too shabby. The league leader has 30. He's only nine behind the league leader. I know. Um, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to analyze like why Olsen hasn't kind of popped off. I can only tell you what my eyes have seen. And in terms of having watched him... I think he makes I, – I think the stat cast data is accurate. And I know you're not saying that it's not. But in terms of the amount of hard contact that he makes and the consistent hard contact that he makes, I think that it, – I think it's accurate. And I think I've seen a number of balls die on the warning track for him. I've seen a number of smoked line drives – 
um, that should be hit just end up right in a glove. Um, and and some of that's defensive positioning because he does pull the ball a lot. But mm-hmm. as far as the warning track balls to, goes, I mean, I don't know if there's a warning track <laughs> stat but I would, I would definitely be willing to bet that he is among the league leaders in warning track fly balls. So, yes, maybe that has something to do with his launch angle. Um, but it's he hits his fair number of fly balls, and he hits them deep, and he hits them hard. Um, so I'm not terribly concerned about that. Yeah, it wasn't so much a critique. It was more like a question for the two of you. Like, yeah, no, I, I think, understand. I think we'd expect even more home runs given the StatCast data, right? Like the average launch angle and the average exit velo, right? You'd expect a, f- a phenomenal home run pace where it just hasn't quite happened yet. Well, no, you also no. have to remember, I mean, the AL West is not the easiest division to hit homers in his home park is not the easiest park to hit homers in. But again, I mean, we sat there a few months ago and he was sitting on whatever the home run total was. And if you put what he did last year together with what he did this year um, at that point, I I think it was about a month and a half ago, he was at 40 bombs Mm -hmm. and Power, as we know, particularly with this type of profile, it can come and go in surges. And the point is, this guy has surged before to a level that no one has ever reached, to my knowledge, outside of the steroid error. And I I just think that he's got maybe not a 24 homer surge in him the rest of the way, but something comparable because – Again, if you watch this guy play, I mean, consistent hard contact, consistent, um, you know, warning track fly balls. And again, the quality of the pitching is going to go down. So I'm, I'm very optimistic. And, and you know, I admit there is some boldness to prediction, but it just seems to me that he's got he's got the raw power and he's got the swing to be able to go on a run here. And what I've seen with my own eyes has done nothing to dampen it. I mean, he's he's got, you know, whatever. I don't want to say he's got 80-grade power, but he's got 70-grade power, definitely. Uh, I have a quick question. <clears throat> Let's say that he paces out the rest of the way. So Zip, Steamer, all those guys have him right around 13 and 12 uh, projected home runs the rest of the way, which brings him right over, like, 30 on the year um my question bring him closer to 35 at this point yeah 35 yeah all right so 35 all right so let's just say he finishes the year with 35 um four steals and 240 average which is but let's say he finishes with the 240 average what do you think educated guess will his adp be next year um, for some reason, I think he's in the same 100, ballpark. A hundred, a hundred and ten. Yeah, he's in the same ballpark he was this year, which is somewhere between one hundred and one twenty. Which, which I think is going to be an absolute steal. Yeah, because if if that is what ends up happening, I think he's had a 
season that where he underperforms his skills. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you guys have any more or can we move it to the buy high, not buy high list? I am done. I'm done. Okay. So let's take a look at a couple of buy high candidates um, that might not be buy high candidates. We'll kick it off with DD Gregorius. Joe, why don't you kick us off with DD? Yeah. So uh, that was fun. Um, after 10 home runs in March and April, DD's hit seven in the 257 at bat since. 12 of his 17 home runs have been at home and an average exit velo of 86.1 miles per hour and a barrel percentage of 4.8%. He deserves those 17 home runs no better than Marcus Simeon deserves his 10. I'm sorry, Andy, but MVDD is dead. All right. So listen, you didn't, you, first of all, you didn't draft DD to get you 30 home runs. We're talking okay. about buying high though. Okay. So are you buying DD now is what you're saying? Yeah. Um, is he really that high since the home runs have slowed down so much? I don't know if you're just looking at the totals. Well, cause he's, I mean, he's a 60th, 60th ranked overall player. Um, Nick, you got to remember, right? We do this week in and week out, so we're very aware of players' hot and cold streaks. But if someone's just taking a glance, they're like, oh, Didi's got 17 home runs. And he plays for the Yankees. Listen, I wouldn't, cons- I wouldn't really consider him a buy high just because he's performing right around his ADP. He's performing better than his ADP, but not much. Um, but I would still buy Didi. Um, yeah, the home runs have come down, but over the last month – and he and listen – at that, when he had that big, crazy first couple of months, he crashed and burned the next month or so. Like he, it wasn't just hitting home runs; he wasn't hitting the ball at all, and it was it was it was hard to watch. But he's found his swing again, and over the last month, he's back now over a two seventy average. He has three home runs. The last two weeks, he's batting three fifty three, one point zero six five OPS. He's looked a lot, a lot, lot, lot better as of late. What I think from DD is this. I think going the rest of the way, he's going to provide you with a very good average. Um, I think for the rest of the way, he'll pace out for something around like 280. And he's going to get you some bombs, but don't expect anything close to what he did in the first half. I think he will eclipse 25 and he will uh, eclipse 15 home runs, which on the year is a nice year, 25 plus, 10 plus, uh, 10 plus. 15 steals, you man. Yeah, 15 plus with a good average. And it's going to come with really good counting stats. Um, so I like me the rest of the way. I would buy but keep my hopes for home runs, you know, not hoping for 17 more or whatever. Pat? See, like, I, I think I, I think that, again, I think Joe is correct. I think that you have got to look at DD in terms of his full season line and how people view him in most cases. Yes. The, the, the more educated fantasy community at large might understand that he has slowed down considerably considerably since April, but he's still in the best lineup in baseball. He's still, or one of the best lineups in baseball. I mean, you could argue that Boston's is better, but or the A's. Yeah, with Matt Olson. <laughs> but 
he's he's in one of the better situations in baseball. Um, he's a guy that plays every day. He hits in the middle of that lineup. And overall, the full season line looks really good. And the overall ranking reflects that. He's not a player that's had, you know, whose cold streak has affected them to the point where they're useless. So what, when it, as far as quibbling as to whether or not he has value, he certainly, I think, does in terms of the way the community perceives him. And Nick, to you, I mean, to your point, Dickey fans and, and even fantasy analysts were going insane about this guy. I mean, you yourself put yeah. him at a 300 average, 35 homers, 20 steals. And, you you know, he's not going to be that far off. It's not going to be that far off from that. But it, well, unless he has another April-like surge, it is. Like he's pacing to like twenty five fifteen, so he's got to have like another ten to twelve homer months somewhere in there in the next two months to be able to reach what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And even then, the batting average is not going to get there because this is a guy to change the swing, and he changed the swing so that way he hit more fly balls for power. And with that, his BABIP has gone the way of. What happens when guys hit a lot of fly balls? And that's part of the issue was that he was hitting, you know, homers every day and hitting, you know, near 400 and stealing three or four bases. And it changed everybody's perception of the player. And I don't know that the perception has changed that much back. And what has gone on, which is what I – told you earlier is with Didi, like basically all that's happened here is just that his career home of the fly ball rate has one out. You know, he's, he's at about 13% homers to fly balls right now. I think his career rate is 9%. And I think his rate from last year was 12%. Yeah. So all that's happened is, you know, his homers came all at once and since then, the fly balls have stopped leaving the park. Now, if he hits 13% the rest of the way, he's going to hit, you know, eight more. And maybe he steals three or four more bags. I'm going to hit 260. He's valued more than that. Yeah. Let me give you some deals. Yeah, please do. I was trying to look them up. All right. So Didi or Justin Smoke? Didi. I do like smoke, but it's DD. Give me DD. All right. What about DD or Justin Smoke in an on-base percentage league? DD. Still give me DD because the position is valuable. Okay, I'm with you both. It's DD, but it's definitely closer in an on-base. Uh, DD and Archie Bradley or Estrubel and Adovino. DD. DD in a vacuum. Yeah, it's the DD side only because of the lineup. Yeah. Those are the two I got. Oh, can't we? Oh, that's it. Those are the only two. Yeah, okay. that's it. Sorry. I thought you said there's, I thought you said you had two more. No, no, um, no. Okay, Aaron Hicks. Nick, <laughs> you can't wait for this. Oh, yeah. Right ahead. This is all you. All right, so I have to just say one thing. First of all, when, I just want to let you know, when I looked up Aaron Hicks's 
I was looking up his numbers, his always swing, all that good stuff. I noticed that Salvador Perez has a 52% O swing right now in the year. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Just fun stat of the day. That's not new to me. All right. I didn't know it was that bad. That is bananas. <laughs> but anyway, so Aaron Hicks, first of all, full disclosure, my, I'm a huge Yankee fan and he is my favorite Yankee. I absolutely love him. Um, so it is going to continue. Um, exit below, good. Launch angle, good. Everything is good. He's got speed. He's got good plate discipline. O swing, he's top 10 in the league. Um, the only thing you worry about with Aaron Hicks is um, injury. He does get things up here and there, but he usually plays through it. This year, he showed up to camp conditioned like the Incredible Hulk. He looked absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. He's just going to burst through that pinstripe jersey. Um, I love him the rest of the way. Right now, he's being shuffled between like one, three, and five. Very rarely is he at six. Um, now with Sanchez out, I, I think he's going to be locked into one or three for the, for the foreseeable future. And even when Sanchez comes back between his struggles um, mentally and between his struggles with his numbers this year, I don't know if he's locked into that. Time. I hate to, I hate to, I hate to interrupt here, Go. but have you seen any sort of indication that the Yankees are going to hit Hicks lead off against righties over Gardner? But what get why why are you bringing up lead up? I said first, third, or fifth. He's at the and then you said first or third. Most okay, days yeah, he's gonna he's gonna bat first or third. So what? Well, what are you arguing? Well, my argument is that the typical Yankee lineup that at least I've seen has been against righties: Gardner, Judge, Stanton. And then it's been Hicks or Didi at four. Okay, that's fine. If he bats four, one, three, five, whatever. Okay, but I, I'm just I'm I'm just trying to clarify here because we've had this discussion many times. Well, but the, I, and you I, just you continue to try to make him the leadoff hitter, and he's not the leadoff hitter. He's not the leadoff hitter. He's being shoveled on the top five, which doesn't matter. He's in four thousand runs or eight thousand RBI. It doesn't really make a difference. Uh, the reason why I bring it up is because you said on an older podcast that he wouldn't bat leadoff more than five times in the year, but he's been there a, a bunch of times. And Gardner's been struggling, and Hicks's OBP is still strong. Gardner has it's not been struggling. That's incorrect. Well, not as of late, but on the year. What is he? <laughs> he has nine home runs, a, a couple of stolen bases. He's been, he's he's been Brett Gardner. That's who Brett Gardner is. Uh, because he's not pacing out for 2020 and 280. He's pacing out for like 16, 10, and 2. No, seven. he's pacing out for like 16, 16, Ooh, 255. 16 in this climate. Okay, well, I mean, you make a big deal about it, but he's in the ballpark of where he's been. Okay, well, listen, regardless, I'm buying Hicks. Joe, respond. I'll be right back. I got to go pee pee. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm actually like kind of on board with Nick, right? The, the barrel percentage is healthy at 9.5%, hard contact over 40, lots of fly balls. I think the 16 home runs are earned. He's always been one to steal his fair share of bags. He's in a great lineup, like Nick had mentioned, even if he's around the back of the order sometimes. Um, I think the problems could stem that he's not guaranteed to start if he slows up at all. Um, the lineup could be crowded. And the 245 batting average is also right around where I'd expect it to be. So, you know, he's good. I, I don't know if I'd be like rushing out to get him, but if if there was a fair offer, I think I'd consider 
going after Hicks. See, I view Hicks much the same way as I view Didi. Um, I think there is value in Aaron Hicks. And I do like Hicks as a player. Uh, you know, I think he's got power. He's got speed. He's got good play discipline. And the play discipline in particular is what I like because he knows how to take a walk. He doesn't strike out too much. Um, the issue that happens with Hicks is, is that the batting average is never going to be that high. We're looking at like a player that's going to hit at best. Probably his batting average ceiling is like 270. Yeah. Um, because he hits a lot of fly balls and they're not always particularly hard hit. Um, now, my my other issue with Hicks in terms of how he's perceived, and this is where I think he's sort of similar to DD is I think he's perceived as being much better than he actually is in terms of what he produces from a fantasy perspective. Don't, um, don't worry, I have deals too. Even with you know what's been an outstanding season, right? What for Hicks. Okay. I'm not gonna interrupt. You can finish. Okay, even even what's been with what's been an outstanding season for Hicks thus far, he is thirty seventh among outfielders in a standard format. If you add in OPS, he's thirty seventh among outfielders. So I don't know that there is much upside beyond what we've seen. And if there's not much upside beyond what we've seen and he's the best backup outfielder in a 12-team standard mixed league that starts three outfielders, yes, he's been a value compared to where you had to draft him. But I can't foresee him going for that price in a trade. Um, all right, so I'm going to address one thing real quick. First of all, as far as him not uh, – you're saying people perceive him as a better player than he's been thus far in fantasy. So last year, he paced out, we know, for 30-20, right? And he had a 266 average. Um, that's not too shabby. If, if, if This year, he in, in uh, 333 plate appearances, 60 <laughs> – Sorry, 16 – she's getting excited too over our next. 16 home runs, uh, eight stolen bases. So he's pacing out for, what, 27, uh, 15 around there. So 27, 15, and he brings the average up to, let's just say, 250. If he's 27, 15, 250 on this team, he's going to have 80, 80 uh, – he's going to have 160 combined runs in RBIs. And compared to what his ADP was – and compared to what you got him for, he's giving you a really good return. And am I buying high right now? Yes, I am buying high on Hicks. Hicks or Kyle Hendricks? Give me Hendricks. Uh, I'm a huge Kyle Hendricks guy. Give me Hendricks. I love Kyle Hendricks. Uh... Just because outfielder versus pitcher. Yeah, yeah, all right. Hicks or Shamanaya? Hicks. Give me Hicks. Hicks and Mankata 
from Michael Brantley and Josh Donaldson. Brantley, Donaldson. I, I want I want Brantley and Donaldson. Yeah, I want, I want Brantley. I don't care about Donaldson. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you guys on all this. Yeah, that's an expensive price, and so is Hendricks, apparently. So uh, I don't know. I don't think Hendricks is – listen, he's having a bad year so far, but – uh, Hendricks, it depends on the league. Uh, right. There are there are people out there that think very highly of Kyle Hendricks. There are people out there that think that Kyle Hendricks is, you know, terrible. Yeah. But but my point, Nick, about about Hicks before we move on, it wasn't so much again like you you drafted him and he was an inexpensive price and you you've profited from him. This isn't about drafting him back in March. This is about what he's going for now and whether or not you want to buy him for what he is now. And I think the market perceives him as being better than the 37th overall outfielder. Well, uh, I mean, I think I think those trades were mostly fair. Right. Aside from Brantley. Pat, which, who would you rather have going forward, him or Winker? Out of curiosity. Give me. Hmm. It's definitely Hicks for me. Sorry. Um, it's Hicks, but Winker's. Winker's no, sorry. it's not. It's not definitely. It's all. I think to me, it's it's got a lot to do with team context. It does because Winker's Winker's going to have the batting average, right? Yep. I think the counting should be comparable, barring a Scooter Jeanette trade. Well, I think Winker's got to get up in the lineup. Well, Winker's sitting five right now, which isn't bad behind Suarez and Vado. But and Winker, Jeanette Winker's the thing with Winker is the reason why I bring him up. He's starting to look the way we thought he would look. Yeah, and if that continues, he's going to give you elite OBP average, OPS, all that good stuff, with the possibility of providing the pop that Pat was very very high on, and I was kind of like. I like it, but not as much as Pat did. So he's really interesting going forward as a bylaw or a bylaw. Yeah, I, I see. I'm still on on the thought of I don't know if there's enough time for Winker to really, really put it all together this season. That's why I'd rather have Hicks. He already is. I think I'd rather have Hicks, but it's not definitely. You know that Winker has brought his average up to 300 already? Yep. I mean, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. He's an excellent hitter. Yeah, he's been he's bat he's been batting four hundred over the last like two months. Yeah, full disclosure, Winker was a guy I deleted from my bold predictions because I didn't want to talk about him again. Because <laughs> I feel like we've spent a lot of time on Jesse Winker recently. Yeah, we have. Him him and Byron Buxton are the FWO uh and Rich Hill now. Special. Yeah. Uh and Marcus Simeon. God. <laughs> yeah, but we go like four months without mentioning Marcus yeah, Simeon. Yeah, come on. All right, let's let's move it to Sean Manaya. Joe, why don't you kick us off since Nick is having a mid podcast snack? All right, so <laughs> can you hear it? I'll stop. I'll put it up on no, you're fine. No, 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 right. So with Manaya, it's a tale of two different pitchers. At the start of the season, he was using a slider a whole lot more, upwards of seventeen percent of the time, and the change only around twenty three to twenty five percent of the time. He steadily increased his changeup usage, which has been his bread and butter pitch for his entire career, but he cut the slider usage down to 11%. This has subsequently resulted in a huge jump in ERA 
and a cut to his strikeouts, which honestly makes him fairly rosterable. He's a buy high in the sense that he's got a sparkling whip and an ERA, but he's falling back to old ways, a pitcher that is often too hittable with his changeup. So I'm not interested. The thing that I find interesting about Manaya is, is that the swinging strike rate is up at 10%. So in theory, with the, string, with the swinging strike rate at that level, I would think that he would be, you know, close to about eight case per nine. And he's at like he's almost below six. What? Let me let me look up the swinging strike rate uh, versus the time. Because I'm curious to see what it was like recently. OK, yeah. uh, let's see. And, you know, as to other stuff, while well, you look that up, the BABIP at 221 is ridiculously low. It will not sustain the um, batted ball profile does not indicate that that is something that's sustainable. You know, he's not a guy that has elite soft contact skills. He's not suppressing line drives. Um, the hard contact rate, I believe, is at 38 percent. So. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. To me, he's a player that I would steer clear of. And, you know, it's it's sort of tough for me to say that because I've always been a fan of Minaya's in terms of his upside. But this is not the player that I was thinking of when I was thinking of his upside. Yeah, I, so I, I've always kind of been out on Minaya. Um he really just the only good pitch he throws is the changeup, and it's it's hittable. Um, yeah, that's not, what I said. It's hittable, and that and that's a problem. And he's not generating enough swing and miss with it. So I don't know. I, I, I've never been a fan. He's very very inconsistent for me. He'll he'll give you a month straight of solid solid baseball, and then absolutely stink. So I, I'm out on Manaya. Yeah. So so the swing strike strike rates game by game, right? Sixteen sixteen point eight, twelve point seven. 10.4, 11, 11.4, 11.5, 11.2, 10.6, 10.3, 10.1, and then slowly but surely 9.7, 9.9, 9.9, 9.6, 9.3, 9.3, 9.6. So he went from like really high to pretty, pretty good. And now he's climbing back down. And it's really just a pitch mix. Hmm. Uh, let me give you some deals. Yeah. Manaya or Adam Eaton straight? Uh, give me Eaton. Thank you. Yeah. Give me Eaton. Manaya or Brad Hand? Um, there I'll take Brad Manaya. Hand because he might strike out more guys. I'm taking Manaya because, like Pat always said, is the relief pitcher pool right now is just so deep. It, it is in most leagues, but still. Yeah, I think actually Brad Hand will probably be better. Um, Manire or Carlos Carrasco? What? Wow. These are pretty expensive. Yeah, because the ERA is like three. Guys, listen, this is like what happens. The results, people still play this game off of results. All right, one more. Manaya, Wade Davis, and Bearclaw. 
for Brad Hand, Vince Velasquez, and Blake Snow. What was what was the the Manaya side? Manaya, Wade Davis, and Barakov. Or Brad Blake? Hand, Vince Velasquez, and Blake Snow. Um, well, it's safety versus complete risk, and I'm I'm taking the risk here because the safety isn't that great. Give me the best player in Blake Snow. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think I'm on the Snell side, even with the injury. It's close. So yeah, but Manai is pretty expensive. Between hand, hand eaten Carrasco and a deal with Snell. That that Carrasco deal, whoever did that, they're in cahoots. Those are that's they're in cahoots. No, that's, that's not necessarily true because Carrasco's got like what a four and a four point one ERA or something. Yep, dude, nobody's letting that deal go by in any respectable league. I mean, Pat just said it. Results, dude. Results. I don't care about results. I'm, yeah. I'm more, I'm more, I agree with you. I don't care about results the, either. I care about world. skills. But I'm offering the world for Carrasco. I mean, we've been saying it for a while now. You need to sell on John Lester if you didn't listen to us and you owned him, and now he just went out and gave up like eight earned runs and like two and like two thirds of an inning the other day. Yeah, There's going to be more where that comes from in the second half. You know. But that's that's just the fact of life. Like that's that matters. Results matter. Okay, that moves us to Tyler Anderson, uh, Joe. Since Nick is still chowing down on his kung pao chicken, can you can you lead us off on Tyler Anderson? Yeah. So there really isn't much in the way of Anderson doing something drastically different, aside from a slight change in pitch mix uh, from the changeup to the cutter a bit more. Um, it looks like the balls just aren't bouncing for hits as much as they might have in the past, specifically last year. It actually looks like last year was the outlier as the homer to fly ball rate was at its highest at 19.5%. Um, something interesting is that over at Brooks Baseball, his fastball was not classified as a sinker at all last year, but both in 2016 and this year, it is around 7 or 8% of the time. I don't have the exact uh, number. So that leads me to believe that last year's fastball was just pretty flat and he got hit really hard. I actually don't hate Tyler Anderson at a Tyler Anderson buying price. Um, if it's too high, I'm out. But if you take him for what he's worth at like a 3.9 or 4 ERA with respectable strikeout numbers, I think you could do worse. Yeah, I don't mind him either. Um, the ratios are good. The problem is obviously cores. And if you if you take in a course player, a course pitcher, you're gonna have to deal with these starts. Um, and the other problem is he's not he's he's not generating um, enough ground balls right now. He's only at 38, percent and that in cores could lead to some serious problems. He has, the home run for nine is at 1.27. I could see that definitely going up in the near future. Um, I like him, but I like him in deeper leagues. And if there's K to walk, which there probably isn't, since we're the only people that do that. Yeah, and he pitched well tonight against Houston. Of course he did, because I'm, I'm facing him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's interesting in, in, a, in a couple of different ways. He's cut the fastball usage. Um, and the batted ball mix has sort of undergone a, a pretty significant shift. A couple of years ago, he was a major ground ball type, and now he's below 40% on his ground ball. So he's become more of a fly ball pitcher, as Nick mentioned. And 
you know, you combine fly balls with a guy that has a homer problem with Coors Field. I think it could get messy. Um, now, you know, Coors pitchers traditionally come with the discount. So depending on what the price is, I, I might be willing to buy Anderson at the back end of my rotation and sort of try to play the matchups with him. Now, granted, you would have missed a good one tonight against Houston, but, um, you know, if I can sort of play the touch and feel game at home and start him on the road, um, I think he's okay at the back end of a rotation. I don't think he climbs above that, though, because it's not difficult to see him finding his way into a six or seven run start. And then that pushes a guy that's got an ERA in the high threes into the mid fours. And then suddenly, you know, it's all caught up to him. Okay. And I think that wraps it up for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. Joe, let them know where they can find you. At Joe FWO on Twitter. And I am still occasionally tweeting. And Nick, let them know where they can find you and give a plug to that lovely Chinese restaurant yeah. that you ordered dinner from. Instead of giving my Twitter handle, I'm going to give a big shout out and a free endorsement to Crosstown Diner in the Bronx. If you're ever in the Bronx and you want to stop at a place with friendly service <laughs> and delicious food, you go to the Crosstown Diner, get yourself a Greek gyro deluxe, tell them Mickey sent you. <laughs> We got to get sponsored. I am so disappointed it was not Chinese food. Um, I don't need Chinese. You can find me on Twitter at Patrick FWO. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week, and hopefully we will have a different restaurant for Nick to review on air. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Peace. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase.